We are about to dive straight in this morning. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I got my Britney Spears mic on. We are ready to rock and roll. Garth Brooks in the building. Okay. We're about to dive into some really awesome stuff as a church, and I just want to kind of give you a heads up about um, those things. Life group launch is coming up in a week. Can somebody say, woo, woo? It's, it's exciting. Whoa, y'all are excited. I like it. Uh, we're about a month away from Life Group launch, and we're going to be telling you a lot about that as we get closer. VBS starts tomorrow night, and I'm excited. I'm going to be in costume all week long, not just at VBS, but even in the office during the week. I'm wearing it all week. I'm, I'm excited, probably too excited. And then the following weekend, we kick off Collide Conference, which will be in Conway for our 6th through 12th graders. Uh, and we'll give some details at the end of service about that. It's not too late to get signed up. Uh, we've got some big serve opportunities coming up. And Razorback football is right around the corner. Can somebody say amen? I'm excited about that. And uh, the, after this week, uh, next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, I'm going to take two weeks off. I will be here. I just will not be speaking. My older brother, Ricky, is going to be preaching next Sunday. And I'm just going to tell you this. You do not want to miss it. Uh, that dude is on fire for the things of God. And uh, I'm honored to be his younger brother. But I keep telling him I'm still bigger than you, okay? And, and I can still beat you up. It's going to be a good next two weeks, and I've got another friend of mine coming the week after that. Um, but I do want to confess uh, some sin, not my own sin, uh, my, my son's sin, uh, before we dive into the Word this morning. We were at a birthday party yesterday, and it was a pool party. Um, and my son, so I'm in the water, Kendra's outside kind of, you know, with Haven, and, and uh, my, my son loves the water. Like, he, he's like a, I mean, he just loves the water. He's like a fish. He's got the little puddle jumper on. He's in there flapping around. He's not really going anywhere, but he thinks he is. And he gets out of the pool, and he begins to go chair by chair, grabbing everything on these chairs and chunking it into the, the deep end of the pool. Now, there's people in the pool. Everybody's like, oh, it's cute. I'm like, no, if it's your phone, it's not cute, you know. So um, he grabs something. I'm not watching him. Kendra's watching. I'm kind of, you know, just doing my own thing. And, and uh, he grabs this large object and chunks it. My son's got a cannon, okay. And I'm just praying um, that he becomes left-handed overnight and uh, that he's a pitcher for the Razorbacks. And, and uh, he grabs this thing and throws it in the deep end of the pool. And Kendra starts motioning to me, but not like too big of a motion because, you know, there's people around. It may be their thing, you know, whatever it was. And so I'm like, he just chunked someone's phone in the deep end of the pool. And so I'm down there looking for it, and I grab it, and it's hot. And I'm like, this thing's about to explode. Is this a bomb? You know, like I'm like kind of freaking out a little bit. And come to find out, it was a very expensive vape. And uh, my son said, no, sir. And he chunked it in the deep end. <laughs> And, uh, and I, I just need to confess to you, we don't know whose it was, and so this is my public apology. If, if you stumble across this video, um, I don't know if we'll buy you another one, but I'm, I'm sorry, okay? Um, <laughs> today, we are going to be uh, continuing our, our series of Matthew and ending the series of Matthew, like I said earlier, by not talking about the book of Matthew at all. Um, we're actually going to be in John 21 all morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open that up. You can... Uh, open your phone as well. We will also show the scripture on the screens uh, behind me. Uh, I wanted to end this series by talking about the redeeming power of Jesus and his grace and his desire to give you another shot. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, that, that's for you, okay? And then just t tell yourself, that's for me too, right? We, we need another shot. We need God's grace 
And uh, the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It is No Turning Back. No Turning Back. I, I want to give you a little context about this guy that we're going to study today. His name is Simon Peter. Um, by trade, he was originally a fisherman. Um, he was very impulsive. Raise your hand if you're an impulsive person. The really impulsive people, you just, you really wanted to go for it, okay? Um, very impulsive. Uh, he speaks his mind. He flies by the seat of his pants, okay? He gets radically saved. He starts following Jesus after seeing a miracle of a catch of fish that happens in the beginning of the Gospels. His name literally means the rock, and we know that Jesus says that on this rock, I will what? I will build my church. And he, he was in Jesus' inner circle with John and James, and uh, he walked around with the 12, you know, as one of the 12 disciples, and, and he walked on water at one point, which is pretty cool. I don't know many people that do that other than Jesus, and, and then he sank because of his disbelief. Uh, he, at one point, Jesus was talking about going to the cross, and Peter spoke out, and he actually kind of rebuked Jesus, which is not a good look, okay? I just want to tell you, that's not ever a good thing to do. And he's like, no, you don't know what you're going to do, and it just kind of shows his personality. He denies Jesus three times right before his death, right before the death of Jesus, and and he speaks at the first, what I believe, the first Christian conference in the history of mankind known as Pentecost in Acts. And 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. And then we see the church that is birthed out of it. And he ends up dying for his faith in Jesus upside down on a cross. And if we just kind of recap a little bit from last week. Uh, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he tells his disciples to stay awake and pray. Stay awake and pray. And the title of last week, we talked about watch, pray, and do not stray. Watch, pray, and do not stray. They fell asleep three times. Judas then shows up. He betrays Jesus and he hands him over to be crucified. Then Peter, what does he do? It shows his nature. There's two swords available. He grabs his little fishing knife and he cuts a dude's ear off right? It just kind of give you some context about this guy we're talking about today. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And he heals the guys here and then goes to the cross. And, and studying about Peter reminded me of this camp I worked at in college. Um, I got saved and I immediately started chasing after the things of God. And I was, I was serving at this, this camp and I was one of the counselors and helped oversee our college staff, and, and we would have hundreds of kids come in every, every single week, and by God's grace, man, we saw a lot of kids give their life to Jesus over four summers, which I worked there. Uh, we would see spiritual growth and personal growth, um, and the, my time there at the camp I worked at, Pine Cove, I saw over a thousand kids give their life to Jesus, which is great, but I, I did realize that a lot of the responses to the altar call at the last night of camp was an emotional response, which we've been talking a lot about, an emotional response to the things of God. Uh, for many of them, that was not the, the real moment for them. Another moment came later in time. Many of them made a decision based on their friends, based on their emotions, and based on their feelings at the time. I would even say the hype or the adrenaline of the moment. And when the adrenaline wore off, 
And the pressures of life came in, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about the storms of life. When the pressures of life came in, most of them faded away from the Lord. Much like this guy that we're talking about today and many of us, when the adrenaline wears off, are your feet planted on the rock? When the, when the emotions fade, when the feeling dissipates, when all of those things are away and you're not around your group of friends and, and you're in a hard spot, he, he completely denies Jesus. And remember, Jesus told Peter, hey, you're going to deny me how many times? Three times. This number appears a lot at the end of this story, before the rooster crows. Peter says, no way, I'll never do that. Denial number one looked like this. A little girl walks up to Peter. He says, hey, or she says, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And what does Peter say? No, that ain't me. You got the wrong guy. And he's warming his hands around a fire of coals. Remember that, a fire of coals. I'm going to go back to that here in a second. Another person walks up and says, hey, I'm pretty sure that you're one of the disciples. You actually sound just like them. And what does he say? No, no, no. You got the wrong guy. That's not me. I'm not, I don't know that guy. And he actually starts cussing. Denial number three, the cousin, some of y'all are like, I can relate with Peter, okay? Uh, denial number three, the cousin of the guy who got his ear cut off right before in the garden walks up to him and says, no, I'm pretty sure I saw you in the garden. And Peter says, no, you, you got the wrong guy. And he denies him three times. And because God's word is true, the rooster begins to crow and, and Peter betrayed Jesus. He turns his back on him. He completely disowns him in his last hour. And then Jesus goes to the cross. He dies for uh, the, the sin of humanity, the, the death that all of us deserve. He gets put into a tomb. He resurrects on the third day. And the tomb was empty. And then Jesus starts to appear to people. Now, I just want to say, <laughs> if somebody dies and they start appearing to people, I'm just telling you, we can't, I can't just overlook that. Anybody else, like you read scripture, and you're like, I would be a little scared too, okay? He starts appearing to Mary, Thomas, and the disciples, and they are so full of fear and doubt. They had their doors locked, and they were hiding in their homes. I just want to set this whole thing up before we dive in this morning and bring some attention to the next part of this text for today. How weird would it have been if we didn't have John chapter 21? I just want to make this clear. The reason we're in John 21 today is because he is the only one that really writes in the way in detail about the restoration of Simon Peter. If we didn't have John 21, we would go straight from the denial of, to Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. He gets buried. He resurrects from the grave. He comes back. He says, hey, I'm going to build my church. And then, then what happens? We go to Acts. The church takes off. And who preaches the first sermon? Peter, if we didn't have John 21, I would have some questions. Like, oh, 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 Peter denied you three times. Why is he preaching at the conference? You know, like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what are you talking about? So what happens is John, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this next part of the scripture. It could have ended in the end of chapter 20, and it says, but these are written that you may believe that the Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. It could have ended right there, and it would have been great. But John writes about the restoration. I do want you to know, John and Peter were competitive. They had a little competitive thing going. John writes in Scripture that when Jesus resurrected and the tomb was empty, 
It says that the one whom Jesus loved the most beat Peter on the way to the tomb. Like, who writes that? Like, that we were racing to go see the resurrection? And by the way, I won, you know, he just had to throw that in there. Like, there's some competitive stuff going on. But John writes about the restoration of his brother in Christ. And this is a comeback story that I think can encourage everybody today. So in John chapter 21, it says this. Imagine Peter covered in shame. Jesus is gone. The disciples are discouraged. Verse 1, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. He sets it up. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish. Circle that in your Bible. Make note of it. He's going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. And, but that night they caught what? Nada. They didn't catch one fish until Jesus shows up on the scene. This is a big deal. We can't breeze past this. Peter betrays the Savior, and he goes back to the thing that he knew, which was what? Fishing. It's easy to read this text and focus just on the miracle and miss the most important part, which was right before this. I believe it's, it sets up and it should encourage you today. Jesus tur- or he turns his back on Jesus, and he goes back to what he did before he followed Jesus, which was fishing. Mark actually writes about Jesus coming back and showing himself to his disciples, and he says it this way. Jesus comes back and he says, go get the disciples and Peter. Why did he add and Peter in there? Because Peter was probably covered in so much guilt and shame. If he just said, go get the disciples, I bet Peter would have stayed where he was at. And and a lot of people believe that if Judas was still alive at this point, he would have said, oh, and go get Judas as well. And so Peter and the disciples, they're, they're, they're going fishing. And the rest of the disciples follow Peter. Why? Have y'all noticed when you start doing things that are against the will of God, and, and if you're a follower of Christ, that people follow you? Peter's a natural leader. So he goes and starts disobeying the will of God. He goes back to the thing that God rescued him from, and all the disciples follow. I would say it this way. As a believer, you don't sin alone. You may think you sin alone, but there's people watching your life. He he goes back to fishing. A lot of theologians disagree about this text. They say, well, he was just going to catch food. He was hungry. Or he was just going to have some fun. I highly disagree because nobody goes and fishes all night and doesn't catch anything for fun. Would you agree? Like, Like, he didn't catch a thing. I would say he's probably not having fun. I've been in situations where I hadn't caught nothing in an hour. I'm not having fun at all, right? I believe he was going back to his old ways. You you know when you're covered in shame, it seems that we do that, right? I, I feel guilty. I feel covered in shame. I'm not good enough. I can't come to church. And he brought his boys with him. I don't know about you, but there's been many moments in my life where I go back to my old ways because of something I did, a moment where I disobeyed, a moment where I turned away from the Lord, and I say, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. This is a great reminder for us today that God's grace is for you. What Peter does is this. It's such a common thread in the Christian life today. We mess up and we go back to our comfort zone. Everybody write that down, our comfort zone. Our comfort zone. We mess up and we go back to the thing that we know. I'm comfortable here. 
I'm confident here. This is the way that I've always lived. And we retreat from the things of God. Write this down. Do not go back to what is comfortable. Do not go back to what is comfortable. When God calls you away from something, there is a reason that he called you away from it. When God calls you away from that relationship and you're dating that person, come on, somebody, like, there's a reason that you're not supposed to go back to it, but it's comfy, but it's not God-ordained. Well, I just want to go back to this, this career or this, this profession where things were easy. Did God tell you to do it? He goes back to the thing that was comfy and secure and reassuring. Can I remind you today gently that following Jesus was not supposed to be like in a recliner, you know? It's not comfy boy mentality like, no, we need to take some risk. Many people just go back to what they know, and sometimes it's at the expense of their friends, their family, and their faith. There is a reason that God pulls you out of it. I want you to choose today, draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going back. But this is the reality in the world we live in today. We often ping pong back and forth between busyness and distraction. Anybody ever been there? I'm just busy. Like people say, hey, how's it going? Common response is what? Man, just been busy. I'm guilty of this. And then if I'm not busy, I'm what? I'm distracted. If I'm not distracted, then I'm busy. If I'm not busy, then I'm distracted. And we ping pong back and forth between this. We numb ourselves to the dopamine hit of scrolling through our phone, screen time, looking at somebody else's approval, binge watching Netflix, okay, YouTube, anybody like, I could just sit there and just watch stuff all day, distracting ourselves from our reality. And then we get so distracted and then we get busy that we completely miss our calling, which is to reach people for the name of Jesus. This is what I believe. We, we get in the hamster wheel of life, worrying about the next thing. Have you ever noticed this? You'll be like, well, when, when I get the car, or like when I, when I get the raise, or the promotion, or, or the new job, or when we get a house, right? Or, or when we get a dog, or nobody says when we get a cat. When we get a dog, you know, like... When, when we have a kid, when we, when we have two kids, when we have three kids, and then when, when my parents will stop griping at us, and then when, when this person gets their life together, and then, and then it's when we get a different house, and then it's a different job, and then you find yourself at the end of your life, and you have completely wished away everything God gave you. Nobody gets to the end of their life that wasted away by wishing for the next season, saying, I'm so glad I did that. No, no, no. Plant your feet in the ground and say, God, you can use me. Use me where I'm at. I don't want to be too distracted and too busy to be used by God. We go back to what's comfortable, common, and easy. And what happens next? Peter clings to his comfort. Verse 3, so they went out, they got into the boat, and they caught nothing. Have you ever noticed when you run from God's call in your life, you seem to catch less fish? You seem to catch less. It just seems like the provision isn't the same. Verse 4, early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them friends. And by the way, in the original text, he addresses them as little children. He's like, and I just imagine he's like, little boys, you know. <laughs> Keep in mind, he's far away on the shore. Hey, little boys, have you caught any fish? You know, like, I'm convinced that Jesus has a sense of humor, okay? I'm not talking about being sarcastic, because that actually means the ripping of flesh. That's not what I'm talking about. He's funny. 
Jesus is a funny guy. If you don't believe me, he appears back to Mary after his death. She, he walks up and she is a mess. She is crying, right? And this is what he says. He says, why are you crying? And she doesn't know it's Jesus. And she's like, <laughs> and she says, I'm looking for this guy. And he's like, well, who are you looking for? You know, this is Jesus. He's got a sense of humor. He walks up to the two disciples, and, and, and Jesus appears to these two guys. They're walking, and, and they're talking, and Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about? You know, they don't know. They don't realize it's Jesus. And this is what they say. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? And they begin to share the gospel with Jesus, okay? Like, you didn't hear that Jesus died and resurrected and rose from the grave? Jesus has a sense of humor. And he just milks it. He just lets it go. And then he follows them to dinner. And he sits with them at the dinner table with the other disciples. And by, like, right when they're about to eat, he says, oh, guys, by the way, it's me. <laughs> if you don't think Jesus is funny, you're reading the wrong Bible. I'm just telling you, he's got a way with these guys. He, he's funny. He says, little boys, have you caught any fish? And it says that he said to throw your net on the right side of the boat. And I read the Bible and laugh, you guys. It's fun. I'm just telling you, I have a good time. And you will find some. And, and when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I love the simplicity of this. One moment hearing God's voice can radically change the provision in your life. One moment of redirection, not doing it your own way, but with the power of God can completely change your life. Completely change your business, your family, your financial situation. I believe in the provision of God. I want to ask you a question today. Are you fishing where you told you to fish, or are you fishing where God told you to fish? One way is way more enjoyable than the other. I just want to encourage you. that The moment that Jesus called Peter to follow him back in the beginning of the Gospels, was that he's reenacting this whole thing. You do realize that, right? Jesus shows up. There's a couple guys fishing, and he, he's like, hey, you're doing it wrong. He gets in the boat with them. And, and then he goes out and he teaches professional fishermen how to fish. He catches such a large amount of fish, and what does he say? Hey, drop your nets and what? Follow me. And he reenacts the same type of scene. He provides a miraculous catch of fish, and he's reminding Peter, and he calls him back to himself. Right after the miraculous catch, and all through this text, there's moments of mirroring from the beginning of the Gospels. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is still just so funny to me, said to Peter, if you write that, there's no way you're humble. I'm just saying, like, as, uh, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Underline that. He jumped into the water. And the other disciples, this is so funny. This just shows how impulsive Peter was. They were 100 yards away. It says the other disciples followed him in the boat. <laughs> I just imagine Peter swimming. They're like next to him. They're like, look at this dummy. You know, they're just rowing the boat. Towing the net of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Peter is the ready, fire, aim kind of guy, okay? He, he's a loose cannon. He jumps in when he realizes that it is the Lord. You can't miss this. He dives in when he realizes this is Jesus. This is a word for you today. Dive into the things of God. We know how the story ends. Dive into the things of God. No more sideline Christianity. 
No more just checking the box. No more consumer Christianity. Y'all, we got to get in the game. Y'all are like, well, Seth, you're a broken record every week because the gospel doesn't change. (laughs) We got to get in the game. Y'all, don't check the box. Get out of the box that somebody put you in. We're not consumers. We are contributors to the kingdom of heaven. For some of you today, this is your nudge to get back involved. Or maybe some of you for the first time. My wife right now, she's over in Little Life. I love her to death. She'll serve every single day. There are people that serve two services at this church every single Sunday so you can attend church. She's back there probably with someone else right now with 18 babies running around, crying, hitting each other with toys, throwing vapes in the deep end. Okay, like, listen, we need your help. We need your help. My brother Andrew, he needs musicians to step up. And say, I can play an instrument. If you can't play an instrument, don't do it. Okay, just do something. Serve some coffee, you know. Greet at a door. Just smile. You can even fake it. Serving kids ministry. We have students that desperately need the word of God. And we need people who can show them that, hey, this isn't the way to live. There is a better way called following Jesus. Y'all, make some coffee. Get on the outreach team. There are so many ways to serve. Today is the day to dive in. Why are we out of the the gospel of Matthew? Because I had to to share this message. We have to get this inside of us. Dive into the things that God has for you. Some of you are so covered up in shame that you can't, I can't dive in. No, it's the perfect time. It's the perfect time to dive into the things of God. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He dives in and begins to pursue him. Verse 9, when they landed, oh, this is so cool. They saw a fire of burning coals. And and there, there was some fish on it and some bread. The other time in scripture where there's a fire of burning coals, remember earlier? Peter's warming his hands right before he betrays Jesus. Around the exact same fire of burning coals. Go look it up. Jesus is painting a picture. He's not rubbing in the face of Peter all of his sin. He's saying, this is everything that I died for. And he shows up and there's some fish on the fire. Why does Jesus keep painting this picture, going back to the catch of fish and the burning coals? And and, and we'll see here in a second, he does it again. He's saying, hey, all of this stuff you've done in your life is why I went to the cross. He's not doing it to to point at him and embarrass him and and ridicule him. Jesus simply wants Peter to live for him. Jesus simply wants Peter to build his church. Jesus simply wants Peter to step out in faith, away from his comfort, and dive into the things of God. I I love that when the disciples get to the shore, (laughs) Jesus doesn't even need their fish. Have y'all ever picked up on that? There's already fish on the fire. I think this is the way that God winks at us. And he's like, I choose to use you. I don't have to use you. God chooses to use you. And by the way, Jesus is so kind and so sincere. He says, hey, by the way, all the fish I just caught for y'all, bring some of those too. We're about to have a party. He starts cooking the fish. And this is what it says, verse 10. Oh, this part right here is beautiful. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbs back into the boat. Y'all, he had to be jacked. He, He says he drug the whole net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153 of them. I'm just saying, your boy was working out, okay? But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, what does Jesus say? Come have breakfast with me. 
None of the disciples even dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. I just want to pause real quick and show everyone here, especially anyone that's wrestling with a religious spirit, that you can't have meals with people that look like you or don't look like you, that don't talk like you, that don't vote like you, that don't act like you. Jesus says, come have a meal with me. We see this. We're about to talk about this every week for the next, like, forever. Jesus has a very unique way of calling people to himself. He models for us. His response is how we should win people to the kingdom of God. This is my prayer. I pray this, that there are more people gathered in your homes than we have on Sunday. Because there are more people that will step foot into your home, I hope, that would probably step into the church. And maybe your home and maybe a meal can bridge the gap for them. He meets a physical need. He provides a great catch. And then he he says, hey, y'all come have breakfast with me. My dare to you guys is to start within this congregation. Y'all look around at each other. Don't look at me. Y'all look at each other. Everybody look around. I'm watching y'all. Look around. You see all these people? I know y'all don't all know each other. I know. Because I introduce y'all to each other all the time. And I'm like, man, how cool would it be if our church actually liked each other? It'd be pretty sweet, right? Like you knew each other's name. You knew each other's story, you spoke to each other's potential, and you practiced sharing meals with each other so that when you get an opportunity to bring someone who doesn't know God into your home, you would be ready. I pray and believe that we will see a day where you guys don't leave service without meeting a new person. And you learn someone's story. You invite them to a meal, invite them to your home. Some of y'all are like, what kind of cult is this? This is the life of Jesus. And if it offends you, And that sounds uncomfortable, good. (laughs) This is the gospel. He says the gospel is for the hurting and for the broken, not the righteous. Invite some people around the table, cut open some bread, and have a good time. This is a relational church. We want to model this. The best ministry that my wife and I do is around our table. We have meals with people. We have coffee with people. We go to places and eat with people. We get to know them and hear their story. We get to have some beautiful moments with God, with other people. And I want to see it times 200, times 300 with every... This is your moment. I'm empowering you. Learn someone's name today. I double dog, triple dog, go back to middle school, dare you, okay? Like, learn somebody's name. Can we do this, church? Don't walk in and act like you don't see people. And just get the coffee. I saw y'all huddled around there a couple weeks ago like vultures. Wait for that coffee. We're going to start delaying it on purpose so y'all have to talk to each other. (laughs) A meal bridges the gap between strangers and family. I I want this church to be known for how we open our homes. I want this church to be known for how we open our lives, how we open our hearts to people who look different than us. Can somebody say amen? That is who we are. That is what we do. And that is how we will build this church. Write this down. I will open my home. I will open my life. And I will open my heart. Verse 13, Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third. Here's the number again. The third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is a drum roll moment. Verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, which by the way, if you get addressed by your full name, you know you need to listen, okay? Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Oh, don't miss this part. Do you love me more than these? A lot of theologians debate about this. They think Jesus was talking about the other disciples and Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these? I believe, personally, I could be wrong. I think that Jesus was holding a handful of fish. And he was saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your comfort? The thing that you keep going back to? Do you love me more than these, Peter? You, you, you just went back to it after you betrayed me and you denied me. And I know you're covered in shame, but I've got grace for you. Do you love me more than these? And then he, he's having this moment where he's presented with a little bit of tension. If Jesus were standing here today asking you individually the same question, what would he be holding in his hand? For some of you, it's a stack of money. Do you love me more than this? Credit cards, do you love me more than this? For some, for some, it'd be your children. Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your comfort? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than your home? Do you love me more than these? Life is too short to cling to temporary things. We got to step out, get out of the boat, dive into the things of God. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? By the way, here, this happened three times again. Don't want you to miss it. Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said to him, I just imagine that Simon's in tears. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was so hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Why did he ask Jesus three times? Because he is mirroring a moment from the past. He said, you will betray me three times. You will turn your back three times and then the rooster will crow. Jesus is not rubbing it in the face of Peter. He's saying, hey, I just went to the cross and died to cover every one of your mistakes, and you still are running from me. If Jesus was standing before you today, what would be the conversation with you? He wants to, he wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants you to turn from it, and he wants you to dive into the things of God. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God in dying. And then he said to him, follow me. Not a really happy ending, right? <laughs> he tells Peter, hey, you're going to die for me if you're going to live for me. And Peter is hung up on a cross upside down. He wanted to be hung that way because he didn't even feel worthy to be hung like his Savior did. We know he goes on into Acts and what happens in Acts. Peter preaches the gospel. Thousands of people begin to get saved. This church today exists because of this. This is a movement from Acts a long time ago. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not. Starting with the pastor. He's really jacked up. Peter begins a movement because of obedience. He steps out in faith. He doesn't turn back anymore. I don't want to fish for fish. I want to fish for people. And I just pray 
And I believe in faith. We're about to step into a season as a church where people are winning people to the kingdom of God. People are serving people. People are meeting with people in their homes. Y'all, I believe more salvations will happen in living rooms and dinner tables than right here in church on Sundays because of your obedience to say yes to him. But you have to move. There has to be a response. Don't go back. It's not worth it. Don't don't go back to what's comfortable. Take a risk. Don't don't go back. Dive into the things of God. The time is now. And I believe that God is showing us in this story. This is a beautiful picture of restoration. I'm so thankful for John chapter 21, aren't y'all? We get to see how Jesus restores this man. He turns from his sin. And he begins to chase after the things of God. If you would bow your heads across the room, I want to pray for you. Just pray a prayer of blessing over you and empower you. God, I I believe that you are moving in this place. God, you are choosing to use us. You don't have to, but we say thank you for being willing to use broken people like us. God, I pray for the person in this room as they walked into church this morning, they were covered in shame. They couldn't even look up during worship. They're they're just thinking about their mistakes. God, I pray that they can embrace your grace. They can turn from their sin, and they will say yes to following you today. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that this would be a church that welcomes people into our homes. This would be a church that doesn't fringe on political things and argue on social media, that we would represent you well. God, I pray that we would move in faith and not fear, that we would take risks for the kingdom of heaven. This life is so temporary, we want to press on for eternity, God. I pray for anyone in this room that's afraid to step out in faith. God, would you give them the courage to step out today? Just to say yes to you, right there in your seat, if you feel comfortable, will you just say it out loud, just say yes, Lord. Whatever it is that he wants to do, yes, Lord. I'm going to do it. I know it may not be easy, but I say yes and amen. God, I pray that you begin to restore marriages so that they can represent you well in their homes. I pray for any parents struggling with anger and frustration that you would begin to restore them right now in the name of Jesus that they could represent you in their home. God, I pray for every person in their workplace that you would give them courage to step out in faith and represent you at their jobs. And God, I ask that you would move in this place that we would not turn back to what was, that we could fix our eyes on eternity and that we could build your church the way you're calling us to build it. God, we need you. We invite you in to do a mighty work in this place, God. We've been praying it, we believe it. This will be a beacon of light in Northwest Arkansas that you would use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God, I believe that's, that's us. We're foolish. We need you, God. But we ask that you would use us, Lord. Reach the university, Jesus. God, when people move to Northwest Arkansas, they may move here for business, but I pray that your message of the life-changing gospel will keep them here, God, that you would equip them and send them out. Lord, I pray that you would fill every believer in this place. God, fill them with your presence, fill their homes with your presence. And when sin comes knocking at the door and when the storm comes roaring, God, we say no and we say yes to you. God, we press on to the things that you're calling us to and we are so excited about the work that you're doing in this place. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. All God's people said.